Hey everyone, welcome back to part two of our Breaking Into Video Games panel. Uh, I'm here with Matt, Chris, Saskia, and we've talked about uh, how everyone got into the industry. So we've learned about everyone's origin story. Now I'm keen to get to know more about what each of you actually do, as well as the perception of your role versus the reality of what you actually do. As we talked about people's origin story, we learned about the different routes in. And I know that, I mean, we've we touched on it here, but also as I speak to different young people and, and learning about the different courses, which is something that is relatively new for this industry, like an actual games related course. So for you, Matt, and we'll start with what you do. What do you think doing a, a college course like the one you, you teach actually provides for someone who wants to get into the industry? Yeah, so, I mean, we talked about it before, like the more time you spend doing something, the better you're going to be. There's um, like the old theory of like 10,000 hours. If you think 10,000 hours into something, then you're going to be able to, to master it. And like it essentially just comes down to the more you do something, the better you get. So like education is is great for that because you're you're doing that thing um day in and day out so the more kind of experience you get that the better you're going to have we kind of like design our whole curriculum with kind of current industry in mind so the the stuff that we feel like we kind of deliver and prepare students is giving them the skills that they need so that's from the like how to use software packages um, and we'll break that down for them and we'll have um, tutorials for them that are kind of tailored to them so there's like you know there's millions of youtube tutorials out there that you can find for things but the, you know the stuff that we'll do for students is kind of like linked to their projects so um like if it doesn't quite look the same in your software or anything like that like it's kind of it's tailored to them so it's kind of like quite a sort of a, a safe place to kind of learn these things we then like one of the the super big parts of industry is the, uh, the uh, education is the sort of feedback that we'll give students as well so we'll kind of tailor projects so they'll learn a particular skill they can then submit that and then they'll get the feedback on that so chris in the last part you mentioned kind of reaching out to people to kind of help you and that was the bit that you know you didn't know what you didn't know that's where like we can help students quite a lot there so they can show us their stuff and we can look at you know the things that they could improve to them so that's kind of a, a really valuable bit of education I think sometimes that's overlooked as well so in like in university particularly in your later years like third years you'll start to get kind of like less contact time with lecturers and it'll be more open and that's because you're 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 doing you're making the thing and you'll get kind of regular reviews and stuff like that so that that feedback that you're getting there is kind of directly helping that project on so yeah that's super duper useful one of the things that we do as well, um, so we work with a company called NextGen, who are kind of like a, an industry bridge. So our students, 16-year-old, we get regular kind of masterclasses from industry. They get feedback from industry professionals, and they're kind of connected right away. If I got that when I was 16, I'd be like, oh, my God, this is the best thing ever. I remember whenever it happened in like my university course, I would be you know super excited and get involved. Our guys get it like on a monthly basis, so sometimes it's almost like taken a little bit for granted and things like that. But we kind of we do see it in like what it, what industry say about our students' work. They'll like be like, hey, like they're kind of way ahead, or they're like already university level, and they're, they're not even there yet and stuff. So 
a lot of this kind of design. So when we're um, designing the project, designing the curriculum, and then designing where industry is going to fit in, it's kind of it's super tailored, um, and it tries to be kind of like this seamless experience for them. So yeah, so education is a good place to kind of pick up those skills and get on that kind of path where people kind of know what you need sort of thing that's mm. kind of i guess how i look at it yeah 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 no and i think you mentioned earlier as well is, is the idea of a relatively safe space to experiment and mess up because that's important too and and get that yeah. guidance so i've designed projects that almost force students to fail for because it teaches them so much stuff and i do it in like a, a safe way where it's like it's not going towards their final grade or anything like that and it, it, it kind of sounds harsh but it's um it will be a um maybe kind of like an open-ended project where it's like hey we're going to make a game and we're going to make a game following this brief and we're going to do it in six weeks and it's like one of the first time you've worked in a team sort of thing possibly and um we'll let them do that um and then they'll do it and we'll maybe even let them choose their teams they'll choose their friends and then they'll suddenly realize that james likes to play Fortnite forever and james doesn't do that much work and then next time they do a, a, a similar project so we have like a follow-up project they think a little bit differently about it and they start to learn and kind of grow so um yeah like there's a term like i guess like failing and failing fast can like really help you kind mm. of learn and push you on and these projects are great for students that also are super duper focused as well because then you know they do really well on that project and then they do even better on the next one as well so it is kind of like yeah it's, it's called like kind of differentiation which kind of like allows every student to succeed in a, in a way yeah it's, it's cool yeah no that, that idea of failing and learning from failure is important and uh yeah james stop playing Fortnite. uh we need to do work um <laughs> so uh so i want to talk about the the roles that everyone does and Chris, so you relatively recently learned what a VFX uh, uh, artist is. Uh, for those that are watching and don't know, what do you actually do? And also, where does your, your role fit in the overall game development process? The cool thing about VFX is that it's kind of difficult to really say what a VFX artist does. Um, <laughs> it's magic. Yeah, well... <laughs> It's interesting because the best part about it, I mean, the reason that it was attractive to me is that no two VFX artists are the same. And I know, I, and to an extent, obviously, no two artists are the same. But with VFX in particular, it's so different depending on where you learnt, what you're learning it for, what your project is, uh, the particular things that you're interested in. Because the role has a kind of huge spectrum. So in a simplest form, uh, a VFX artist is someone who creates things which help communicate gameplay in a visual way. You know, different to a 3D artist where they, you know, you're building environments or props which are in a visual way. Or like a programmer, you're just programming things to perform functions. A VFX artist's job is basically to dress up gameplay in a way that communicates in a visually interesting way without uh, detracting from that or taking away from it in a way that fully supports uh, what you're trying to get a user to experience. That's probably the easiest way to try and explain how it differs to other jobs the nice thing about it is that the spectrum of what a vfx artist does is so vast you have like a, from a super technical perspective you have maybe more like a programmery vfx artist that does uh, technical scripting uh, maybe software like houdini which is incredibly complex and also used in film vfx and on the opposite end of the spectrum you've got someone who's more like a traditional 2d animator um someone like more like old disney animation where it's frame by frame um painting 
and everything that exists in between that is also VFX. So I would consider myself more of an art-leaning VFX artist, kind of like in the middle, just towards art, because I do some programming stuff, I do some tech stuff, I do some pipeline and tools work, but what I really want to do is painting and animation. That's like where I sit. But I know VFX artists that would consider themselves a VFX technical artist where they do shader creation and, you know, low level engine or rendering or graphics programming. And they all kind of sit under the VFX and technical art umbrella. And depending on what studio you apply to, uh, what the role at that studio is, what project that role is for at that studio, every single VFX artist job is going to be different. And what you're going to be expected to do is completely different. Which can be confusing because yeah, I can see, yeah. You could uh, theoretically, I mean, I quite, quite often will get, well, someone like a recruiter will message me and be like, hi, I'm looking for a VFX artist for my project, and this is what we want that person to do. And I look at that job and I'm like, that's not me in the slightest. It's technically my job title. But uh, I mean, in the same way, so for example, you could be a game designer. Now, a game designer could be a level designer, a systems designer, a technical mm -hmm. game designer, uh, more of a scripting or events designer, um, maybe a UX designer, a core game loop designer, multiplayer designer. But all of that sits under the umbrella of game design. Um, so, yeah, I think what my, my favorite thing about VFX and what it is is just the fact that it's very vast and you can kind of carve out your own role. Um, obviously, certain things you need to know how to do, like use a game engine. But uh, at the crux of it, you can really, really develop in the way that you want to go with your role. And you just say, you know, that's, that's not me. That's not my type of VFX artist. I would like to be on the more art side. So for me, my role, uh, like on my current project, and in game development in general, is basically to dress up the game in a way that's visually interesting. So a uh, we'll have a feature which is pitched to us. So uh, a designer will come to us and say, hey, I'd like to do this thing. How do we make that visually interesting? How do we communicate to the player that, say, for example, there's a ball and we don't have the actual ball yet because we don't have a 3D artist. It's just going to be a gray ball, but that ball needs to explode in five seconds and it would kill you if you were in that area. And I'm like, cool, so I need to find a way to show the player, don't go near the thing, it's dangerous. Uh, if you stand within this certain range, it will kill you. It, that it has an element of danger to it, or that it, it, it's volatile or explosive, and there are loads of different ways that you can do it, and you know, it depends on the art direction or the design, like maybe the design is called Water Bomb, you know, which tells you a lot different about it to explosive barrel um, and they do the same thing functionally but the vfx artist's job is to then find the right way to approach that element or that subject and and make it in a way that is ideally cool and fun to look at um, but most of all that communicates all of the beats of a gameplay experience so you know if i look at it from far away don't go near it if i do go near it i shouldn't have gone near it if i go near it it's a big enough boom that makes me never do that again and kind of teaches that player a thing. Um, so yeah, it's it's always there to like ride the wave of the design and try and make it seem in a way that's really visually clear to a player. Yeah, that is that's really interesting. What the more you look at that like, game design and everything, you realize the the non-verbal, the non-sort of text instructions that are baked into the design process to let the player know what it should be doing, what they shouldn't be doing. So yeah, that's really interesting to hear. Uh, and I mean, same to you, uh, Saskia, is that, can you explain what you do and, um, yeah, where, where your role falls in the development or marketing process? Yeah, I'd be happy to. 
So um, I guess initially when I started out at TCR, I wasn't doing much of anything because I didn't know anything. Um, so obviously the first you know month or two that I spent there was really just like learning and not being very useful to anyone around me. Uh, but thankfully, I've now reached a point in my career where I am actually adding value to the company. So I'm happy about that. And I'm sure TCR is happy about that, too. So currently in my role as a production assistant, and I guess similar to um, to Chris, what I really like about my role is that it's quite varied. So, you know, I would like every day is like different, you know, compared to the previous day. I mean, obviously, there are things that like carry across. But then, you know, I'm involved in like lots of different aspects of game development, which I really enjoy. I would say like broadly, you know, you could, you know, as with most production roles in video games, you can kind of divide them up into like separate them more into like the project management side of things and the more like production-y side of things. So in terms of like the more um, production-y side of things, you know, obviously I spend a lot of time like working with the team, you know, so like figuring out is there anything that's like blocking them do they need any software you know do they need a meeting set up with other disciplines you know like you know do we need to chase uh chase decisions or whatever um so like just doing our best basically to um put the team in like the best possible position so that they can do their work without any obstructions and that's you know a lot of more like relies more on soft skills and that's like more like people work basically like learning how to interact with people learning how to get what you want, you know, not in like a manipulative way, but like, you know, you know what I mean, but like, get what you want, but like in a nice way, make, make people think it was their idea, you know, like Inception style. Um, so like, <laughs> exactly, exactly. So just like learning how to, you know, how, how to get the most, you know, out of everyone and just help people, right? And, you know, I really enjoy helping people. So that's an aspect of my job that I really like. And then obviously there's the more like project management side. So like, obviously we do a lot of scheduling. So like, you know, most um, gaming studios will like work in sprints. They can be two weeks, one month, whatever, depending on the studio. So like, you know, for every sprint, you got to plan, you know, kind of work, what's people's capacity, how much work can they get done in a given sprint. And then, you know, you got to talk to all the stakeholders and stuff and see what's doable. And obviously as production, our job is always to keep the bigger picture in mind, you know, whereas individual people might be more focused. They're like, okay, I'm working on this environment or I'm working on this feature or whatever. As production, our job really is to um, think about, you know, the game as a whole, you know, think far ahead, you know, of other people and also, have like a holistic view you know of the game development process and really act as a bridge between different departments and stuff and really just facilitate communication as best as we can uh spend a lot of time in excel uh which is obvious and you know uh all sorts of other things too like i'll do onboarding for people which i really enjoy and just like you know basically whatever needs to get done i guess and and that's something i like about it you know is that you are contributing to the overall development of the game. You know, I think sometimes what you can struggle with when you work in production is that you feel like you're not like actually having an impact on the game. Like you're not making the game yourself, right? You're not writing the code or whatever. So sometimes maybe, you know, that gets you down or frustrates you a little bit, you know, but then you think that, you know, the work that you do and that you contribute, you know, does have an impact on the game because it means that, you know, it makes it easier for other people to do their job. And, you know, ultimately that does help the game get made, you know, even if you didn't like design a character or whatever. So, you know, it's all about, I guess, like how you look at it, you know, at the end of the day. Um, and 
I think for someone like myself, um, you know, that kind of role I think does does suit me because, you know, I enjoy working with people and having that kind of like big picture view of everything. And yeah, I never really set out to make my own game. I, I was always more about like helping other people make games. So I'm happy that I've ended up in a position where I can do that. That's really cool to hear. And especially sort of uh, alongside uh, Chris, because like I say, Chris is kind of in the game, sort of making things, but then uh, Saskia is helping the game get made. And both are important roles. I think you, it's easy to overlook when you're playing the game. It's like, oh, it's just someone just made this but then someone needs to support the people that are making <laughs> the game. And especially at any kind of scale, you need those systems in place to help people, like you say, chase uh, chase things, chase people, give people your idea, but make them think it's their idea so they can do things faster, that kind of thing. Uh, I, know, I know what you mean <laughs> uh, in that. So, I mean, in terms of, like, we've got the employment side of things. And then I know, especially now, just because of the, just like it feels like an abundance of like indie games and uh, and a spotlight on that side of the industry i know there will be like a lot of young people being like i don't need to work for anyone i'm just going to go and make my own game uh so matt as well as a, a lecturer you're also an indie developer have you had those conversations with people and what's been your reality in terms of like maybe someone who's i don't want to go and work for a studio i'm just going to go and make my game what's been your reality yeah, so there's there's a whole host, um, and I think there's just certain paths are right for some people, and certain paths aren't. Like like education isn't necessarily a path for everyone either. Like some people don't really work in that environment, and they want to go off and do their own thing. I think like I I really love indie game development, and I love it because like I really feel like I'm making the game. So there's there's two of us that work on it. So we do everything. Um, so I've learned so much stuff that like i wasn't necessarily doing before like the effects so i've been doing bits of that i won't be as good as you chris but you know it's, it's cool getting close to that um and yeah i think that's kind of sometimes that's not what like people think about and like some of the bigger things i had to learn was biz dev which is essentially how you run a company and like how you start it up properly and the things that are involved and the legal side of things and okay we're making the game but nobody knows about our game so we need to market it who's going to market it there's two of us okay so that's going to be us then so there's like so many different things so um and i guess it's again coming back to um that point of i guess doing something and, and experiencing it um and, and putting hard work in so where was i going with this point i was going somewhere with it uh, <laughs> the realities of making your own game and like yeah what's, yeah yeah, I think like for me, like being a part of a studio was good because you got to you got to see how everything worked and see how kind of somebody else did it. So I think it'd be like I mean, this is kind of the first game that we've worked on. We're in that kind of startup phase, and it's it's proper hard. Like the stuff that we're doing, and it, it feels like it's taking a decent amount of time and things like that. But um, it's all stuff that should be paying off in in the long term. So I think kind of it can be definitely a challenge if it's like hey i'm i don't know 18 i've done a college course and now i want to make my own game obviously there'll be unicorns out there that will absolutely do that and it will um take off and you'll read about it on linkedin or twitter and then it will make it seem like it's super duper easy and you download unity and your game just pops out the other side so yeah i think everyone's route will be different and particularly with indie dev there is 
the whole other side of it like production as well like having a producer when i was in industry was um working for a studio was super useful because they were keeping you on track and they were doing all of that whereas now i'm having to do that and we're producing ourselves and that's not really the best way to do things so if like a producer would be one of like the first kind of roles we'd want to want to hire as um our kind of indie studio grows so yeah there's there's a lot to kind of making games other than just making the making game, game. <laughs> yeah and like sometimes there's some weeks where i just like i don't do any making of the game so much but i'm doing all of this other stuff so um yeah i think definitely kind of seeing how somebody else does it like working for a company really really helps and it gives you a really solid understanding i felt like i think i i, I learned more in the first three months a company than i did in three years of university however i wouldn't have been able to do those three months in industry if i hadn't have done the the time beforehand as well so yeah it's tough it's it's, it's all totally doable um mm. there's a lot of a lot of different aspects and a lot of different job roles that are in in games that contribute to making the game yeah yeah i just i'm um, sorry i just want to add to that if i if i may I think before I, you know, decided to, you know, properly, you know, pursue a career in games, I think I just had this like weird misconception in my head. You know, I was like, okay, I'm studying social anthropology at university. Like that's a choice that I've made. And then for some reason in my mind, I was like, okay, if I do anthropology, then I can't work in games. Like in my mind, it was just like incompatible. And then I always thought that like, if I wanted to work in games, I needed to like know how to code or whatever. Like if I didn't know how to code, I, you know, there was no way I could do it. And then I met someone and then they were like, oh, yeah, I'm a lawyer and I work with games. And I was like, what? <laughs> is that real? Is that a thing? And then I was like, wait, a gaming studio is just like any other company. They need lawyers. They need accountants. They need office administrators like HR, you know, but I hadn't thought of it in that way before. In my mind, I was like, everybody was like coding all day, whatever. But then when I actually sat down, I was like, wait, they need people with, you know, lots of different people to make it run like a real company. But for some reason, beforehand, you know, before I actually ever met people working in games, it just my mind just like didn't make the connections. So if anyone out there, you know, don't make the same mistake as me, <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, it's uh, it's wow. The the amount of times I've heard like just people say essentially what you just said is that not understanding the different roles, and I think yeah, a, a lot of what we try and do here with gamepad is to have discussions with people who are in different roles so they can be more awareness of oh you can actually do this because yeah even like i'm having the interviews but i'm still surprised at the number of people that say like i didn't even i just assumed gaming working in games was uh coding and and art <laughs> and, uh, and that was it so yeah all right before we end this uh part two i do want to touch on a question about the perception uh, again we're talking perception versus reality of your role and this was inspired by an IGN article written by Rebecca Valentine uh, with the title turns out the hardest part of making a game is everything <laughs> and it's a really cool article I will drop the link in in a chat or in a YouTube description uh, later but it just talks about certain aspect or a lot of aspects in games that we as players might just take for granted but actually just are very hard to implement uh, like doors <laughs> putting it indoors into a game so that's kind of inspired me to ask of uh, particularly of uh, Saskia and, and Chris is is there something about your role that seems simple but is actually extremely hard 
to do. So we'll start with Chris and then go to Saskia. Um, yes, interestingly, it's funny. I mean, as you, as you mentioned, it, Saskia, it's convincing people to do anything. Um, <laughs> uh, it, it is an art, like which is the the hilarity of like absolutely relying on producers because there are so many instances where I think. When when you play a game, you're like, I, I'm only seeing the finished product. You don't see the literal millions of iterations of things that just got deleted or just never made the cut. And it's so difficult to make those decisions. When you're working with a team, I mean, the team I'm on at the moment is about 45 of us or something like that. Um, and, you know, you have loads and loads of brilliant people that have fantastic ideas. And, you know, you're looking at other games for inspiration. You're trying to make something that's new and interesting and has a unique selling point as a game, but also not too not too wacky that players would be like, I don't even get what you're trying to make with a game here. Like, it has to be recognizable, but also unique. Um, otherwise, why would they play your game at all? And you have all these ideas, and it's trying to boil them down and then pick one and <laughs> just pick one um and then it comes to simple decisions you're like okay does the door i mean you mentioned doors you know does the door handle open towards you or away from you now that's really really basic but that could change the entire pacing of a moment like if you think about a game like the last of us a game opening towards you is is completely different to a game opening inwards because going inwards, you're forced to walk into the room and, you know, you have different amount of reaction times to negotiate the combat space. You know, can you then now close the door or are you just in a room with a bunch of enemies? And it's really, really like the absolute minutiae of decisions like that where you're having to make it, make a call and you don't know if it's going to be the right one, but you have to make one. And the um, sometimes the small decisions are almost more difficult than the big ones because big ones are usually vastly different from each other. So you can be like, well, that's clearly not us. This is us. This is where we want to go with the game. But something very simple like, you know, is it a dagger or is it a sword? You know, changes a lot about your player, but they perform similar functions, but wildly different like repercussions for the entire rest of the game. So yeah, I mean, it kind of is interesting. The same thing. It's the hardest part is is everything, but it's just making those decisions. Um, and you ha like you know, obviously you can change your mind and things like that. But making those decisions has huge knock on effects for other teams and other people. And I mean, for example, in VFX, we kind of have to work with everyone um, because it's such a bridge between lots of different things. And say if I don't know if I, I'm not considering that if I make a decision of my VFX that an engineer is going to physically going to implement that. If I'm just thinking about me, then that I could be like missing something that's huge. It's going to take a huge undertaking, um, which is why my first point about why producers are so valuable is because of the fact that they go, wait a minute, remember an engineer is going to have to implement that. And you're like, oh, that's a good point. I, should, <laughs> I, I, should, I shouldn't do that. <laughs> um, you know, because it's not just about, you know, having the best idea it's what you can reasonably create that a player is going to understand and enjoy even if it's not groundbreaking or, or you know some kind of genius virtuoso design thing it's just about something that's actually going to be fun and doable <laughs> especially it's the best the idea that you have yeah <laughs> and those are the best ideas the ones that tick all those boxes right yeah so yeah and saskia how about you yeah, I um I thought about this question a little bit because I wanted to make sure I actually like could come up with something on the spot and I wasn't like, you know, reaching for an answer. And I think I'm I'm actually pretty happy with with what I came up with. So, I think one thing that, you know, uh, as a producer, you know, we 
uh, something that tends to be our responsibility is, you know, leading like the the morning like scrums or like the morning standups, which is like a time for the team to come together. Everyone can like give an update, you know, what are they working on? Is there anything blocking them? It's just like a good opportunity for the team, you know, to, you know, virtually or like physically, whatever, like be in a room together and give updates and like, you know, catch up and have some FaceTime basically. Um, in the mornings and you know before I started running those myself I was like oh, it can't be that hard you know whatever you just ask people what did you do yesterday what did you what are you doing today you know I just thought you just call people's names or whatever but then when you when I actually started doing it, I was like okay you know what there's a lot more to it than just calling people's names because if you're if you're working in production you know like for you the stand-up is a way for you to get important information right so Sometimes people won't say exactly, like they won't say something's blocking them, but they'll start talking about something and then you'll hear, actually, wait, that there is actually a problem. They'll like describe it in like a roundabout way or something. So, you know, as a producer, when you're running these morning stand-ups, you know, it really is an exercise in like active listening. So like you have to listen to what people are saying, not just the words coming out of their mouths, but also like the deeper kind of meaning behind it, right? You have to make connections. Maybe you notice that, you know, compared to the updates that they were giving a couple of days ago, maybe there's like a disconnect or something between the two or something major has changed between their last update. Maybe they haven't even realized it themselves. So you really, you just have to listen very closely to what people are saying. You have to take notes, some things to follow up on, you know, what has changed from previous updates, you know, is there something going on that, you know, they're not telling you or like, you know, you really just have to try and get as much information out of them as possible. And I think that's why they can be quite exhausting, even though they're relatively short meetings and everyone just gives like, you know, like a one minute update or something, but they can actually be exhausting just because they're trying so hard to like listen to what everyone is saying. So that was, yeah, a lot more difficult than I anticipated. Um, so I think that was definitely like a learning process for me trying to like get used to that mindset. And then also just like how I can best make use of that time to like, you know, best support the team. That's the thing, like when once you're in and you realize actually there's there's a lot more uh, to it, and even what you just described, uh, Saskia, is like a, a very non-technical. This is like soft skills, people skills, and understanding how you can support the people that are doing the the technical um, aspects of the of the game development. So, yeah, it's uh, both like good points to highlight. So, yeah, this has been uh, part two of a three-part panel discussion about breaking into games. You can hear the full discussion of parts one through three about the panel's thoughts on breaking into games, their roles, and the future of their roles, and how the games industry can support the next generation of talent. So look out for all three parts. Uh, see you all later. Mm-hmm.